Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have, like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. <laughs> a lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, yeah, you, you were different. And so much more. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. This is a Manhattan-bound B Express train. The next stop is Grand Street. Mind the gap. Welcome to Skylines, the City Metric Podcast. I'm John. And I'm Barbara. And this week we're talking about global cities and why everyone hates them. We thought we'd call this one Global Cities and Their Discontents. You know, if you want to break into the tech industry, the rents in San Francisco now are comical. A lot of the money that gets spent in Leeds, even Leeds, which is probably per person the richest city in the north of England, was raised in taxes in London. Selfish and greedy and likes to build buildings. Seems very New York to me. Other places have transitioned from being industrial to being post-industrial places. Actually, London has done that pretty well. Hello and welcome to the first, to the inaugural, in fact, uh, City Metric podcast, where it's going to be like reading City Metric, only you don't have to stare at a screen and you can walk around without bumping into things. Uh, I'm John Elledge. I'm joined here by my colleague, Barbara Speed. Hello. Uh, hello. Um, and this week we are going to start with a topic that is very prominent in the minds of anyone who lives in a big city like London, I think, which is... Why do so many people hate us? What, how, how does the rest of the world feel about big cities like London, New York and so on? Barbara, you didn't grow up in London. You grew up in a, a, a small town in the south of England, I think. Yes, in Winchester, which is about an hour away. How did London look from there? How did, how did your, your neighbours feel about the Gary metropolis at the end of the train line? Well, I think there's an interesting progression which kind of shows a lot about London anyway, which is that I think in the past it would be kind of a bit like in other places really the big city that's slightly annoying because it's big and all your young people leave and go and work there instead of staying around um however as time goes on because so many more people are moving out to towns like winchester it's started to feel a bit like where londoners live anyway <laughs> so i think that you are getting this this other strange effect where things are kind of being sucked in anyway so did London always feel like this kind of octopus-like presence just, just over the horizon, sort of sucking life out of the town? Yeah, exactly. And you would go there to do your kind of fancy shopping or your big day out or your big night out. And so the local theatre was kind of a, a bit rubbish in comparison and the local jobs weren't brilliant because why would you stay there when you could go an hour away and get a brilliant one? Mm. I've been talking about this with a couple of people, actually. I have a theory. Um, I imagine there's going to be lots of my unevidenced theories on this podcast, so you're just going to have to deal with that, I'm afraid. 
I have a theory that London does, in quite a sort of literal way, kind of drain the cultural life from from a lot of the towns in the south of England for that very reason. Because if you if you're in a place like I don't know Chelmsford, somewhere like that, you know, I mean, not not a small place, but you know, small small enough. If you're within an hour of London, you don't get like the sort of little independent bookshops or music venues or just that kind of cultural life. Yeah, Be- exactly. Yeah. Because everyone just gets on the train, to, and you know it's only an hour away. You can go, you can go to Soho, you can go to Shoreditch. It's, there's just more fun things going on there. The only way of avoiding that, I think, is to be a, either be far enough from London that you can't just sort of hop on the train, or to have a university. Yeah, and I think that's something where the kind of small size of this country really plays a part. Because if you think of, say, theatre as an example, it becomes quite a hard sell in an age of arts cuts to say we're going to do a provincial tour of all these little places which are actually quite close to London, rather than just staying on the West End. But if you were in America, say, you kind of do have to go to a few different big cities because otherwise you just wouldn't reach most of the country. So I think the the sort of small scope, our small geographical scope lets us down a bit there as well. Mm. As, as ever, we talk about London quite a lot because, you know, we're, it surrounds us. But, you know, our remit is is theoretically global. Do you mm. think that other big cities and other countries have this sort of problem of this sort of, you know, this combination of being sort of desirable places but also... Hated. Resi- hated. Yeah, yeah, hated. Well, Paris is the best example, isn't it? I mean, that's... And I think Paris, even more so than London, there's a real sense that it's very, very different to... Um, the rest of the country, which I'm not sure you get quite so much with London and the UK. But yeah, and there, I guess, again, there's this kind of strange dualism where people in Paris are or as painted as quite snobby about the rest of the country. And the rest of the country knows this and gets quite angry about it. And then you kind of get this sort of two-way disdain. But I mean, I don't know, I was looking into this earlier and I was... I, I saw quite a good point made, which is that big cities like London and Paris tend to kind of have a younger population and also a more international population. So there's a kind of, those are two groups which don't always get the best rep anyway. So you wonder if some of the prejudice comes from that as well, that a big city is kind of threatening and full of undesirable people. Hmm. I think I think that's true. And I think also London and Paris are both, I think, in sort of international culture seen as sort of iconic of their respective countries, despite the fact that in a lot of ways, they are quite unrepresentative. I mean, mm-hmm. like the population of London, as you said, it's not just younger, it's a lot more multicultural, it's a lot more diverse. I mean, it's something like, I think, a third of all Londoners now weren't born in, in the UK at all. The figures in Paris are, I believe, smaller, but the, you know, it's, it's the same dynamic, or it's a much more diverse place than, than a lot of the rest of France. And yet, these are the places that people, people think about. And visit as well. I think tourism is another big issue. That's another thing people think about those cities as well, they're full of tourists, which... Tourists are annoying, but they also bring loads of money and kind of keep things moving. So there might also be an element of almost jealousy that they're attracted to those places and not to your backwater town and wherever, which is probably very nice. (laughs) One of the things we're going to do with this podcast, rather than it just being two Londoners sat in the room kind of talking about... We are going to talk about the tube map, I'm not going to lie to you. It's going to come up at some point. You're just going to have to deal with that. We are going to have lots of other voices on here too. If we're talking about the topic of what the rest of the country thinks of London, it seems to me that what we really need is a northerner. Luckily, we have a professional northerner to hand. Hi, John. I am Tom Forth. I run a small software and data company called Imactivate in Leeds. And I am also at the Open Data Institute Leeds, where I am now, 
The Open Data Institute tries to open up data from companies and local government and all kinds of stuff. We try and put that to good use in making better decisions where we are. And one of the ways in which you've been putting data to use is um, you've been using it to shout at people on the internet about London's competitive advantage. In yeah, absolutely. What's, what's yeah, so, that about? Uh, I do a lot of shouting on the internet, uh, on Twitter, and I also have a blog. And occasionally I write stuff on Citymetric as well to shout about what I see as a missed opportunity. So it's a missed opportunity for uh, Leeds, Manchester, Sheffield, the places where uh, I kind of grew up and and, uh, went to university and so on. I think we could do a lot better. And I think a part of the reason why economically we're not doing a lot better is because London hogs all the money. To put it simply, surely it's London that, that makes all the money, isn't it? It's London and the South East that are generating the cash that's supporting the rest of the country. You guys should be more grateful. Here. There's no doubt that a lot of the money that gets spent in, in Leeds, even Leeds, which is probably per person the richest city in the north of England, or the richest big city anyway, a lot of the money that's spent here was raised in taxes in London. I mean, especially in the financial services sector, it is a bit rich sometimes for us to say, oh, we want even more money. But I suppose I'd make a really clear point about that. What I want is for Leeds, Manchester, Sheffield to not need as much money from London. We could have a much stronger economy and we could do things much more productively, generate much more of our own money to pay for things like the NHS, which are currently paid for with London's money. But we really do need some investment to make it happen. And it's that that I think we haven't got yet. London sends us up a lot of money to run the NHS. It doesn't necessarily send any money to invest in better trains or more research or better jobs or better transport, etc. So, OK, successive British governments have been facing a north-south divide for 80 years or more without being able to deal with it. We, however, are going to sort it out within the space of this one podcast. So tell me, what's on the wish list? What do you need from, from central government in Westminster to improve the economic prospects of the north of England? We need to have less money spent on paying welfare bill and benefits, but we need that in the long term. What we need now is the tools required to generate more and better jobs in the north of England. So that means a transport system that makes it easy for me in the centre of Leeds to get to somewhere in the south of Bradford reasonably quickly to meet with someone or to get to somewhere in Sheffield or to get to somewhere in North Leeds or Manchester. So number one, we need to be able to get around the north of England much more easily so that people can generate more money. The second thing that we need is to look at developing some industries in the north of England that are really world-class again. That doesn't mean reopening factories that make shoes or clothes or whatever. It means really high-tech stuff that requires research and development spending. So I would urge the government in London to think about funding research and development. That means at our universities, but also at at spin-out centres, like catapult centres, an example. I'd look at them doing a lot more of that in the north of England. And the last one a little bit is uh, culture. I think we could do a lot more of that. So you look at all of the 
national galleries, a huge amount of them are in London. I don't think we need to have them there. I think we could spread all of that interesting stuff around the country more and make everything a lot more interesting. The current British government is talking a lot about city-based devolution, actually handing some powers over things like economics and infrastructure and so on back to city governments in a way that they haven't really had in, in decades here. To what extent do you think that's going to help with these problems? I'm quite a big fan of this stuff. I think that cities like Leeds, and when I say cities like Leeds, I mean including Bradford, Wakefield, Huddersfield, Halifax, etc. These regions are really what generates growth and jobs. That's where people, young people especially, choose to live and work. And there are so many small fixes that I see all over the place in Leeds that we just can't make happen. We can't fix things. We can't open up a, a tiny little new road or put on a new bus lane. We can't help a local artist to do an exhibition because all this money has to come from national government. So I think that, that giving that power to cities is brilliant. The problem is that at the same time as the current government are giving some power to cities, or certainly want to give power to cities, they are taking away most of the money. So it could be a case of cities having a lot of power but no money to do anything with. So I think at the minute, I think what we have is an improvement, but it would be great if in addition to having some powers and some control, we could have some money and one example I would give is that we're building a really fast railway between London and Leeds at the minute. There's a huge amount of money there. Why don't we just say Leeds you have your portion of it, you decide what to do. We might decide to build a fast railway called HS2 but we might choose to build a tram system instead or to bulk up our flood defences. It, it strikes me that what's happened in the north of England is deindustrialisation and the end of uh, the British mining industry is a major concern and so on. And these are trends we're seeing in developed economies all over the world because you just can't, you know, if, if, you, if you're paying the sort of wages you need to live in Britain, you just can't compete with another industry that can pay the, the sort of wages you need to live in China. Um, isn't it inevitable that there's going to be a process of decline and that, you know, maybe in the long term more people should just live in the southeast of England? To a certain extent, it is inevitable. If you look at Liverpool, where my granddad worked on the docks, there's just not going to be as many jobs on the docks anymore because the efficiency of transport is much improved. But you could say the same about a lot of London. There was a lot of docks there. Similarly, in Yorkshire, I suppose the two main things would be textile mills and coal. Clothes are much cheaper to make in India and China than they are ever going to be to make in Yorkshire anymore, and coal is cheaper to dig up in China. So to a certain extent, that's right. What I think we could learn from is the way that other places have transitioned from being industrial to being post-industrial places. Actually, London has done that pretty well. There was areas of really heavy industry in London, and that transitioned reasonably successfully, or at least more successfully than let's say uh, in Bradford it transitioned from being industrial to post-industrial so I think if we look around especially Europe you can look at lots of similar industrial places that have transitioned really successfully I think that the north of England could have done that at the time when deindustrialization was happening that we have this chance to do it properly now but it will take investment always lag behind in making the investment that we need to get ready for these changes. Okay, one last question. 
Leeds and Manchester, who's winning the fight? Oh, right. I am in Leeds right now. People could see me. They could find me. But thankfully, this will be made available on the internet long after I have left Leeds. So I am going to be honest and say that I think Manchester is well... You are in such trouble But wait, but wait, but wait, because I can't leave it there. (laughs) I don't think that matters because I could be in Manchester in 50 minutes. If I want to fly anywhere, I can fly from Manchester Airport. If someone is visiting Manchester from China or from Germany and, and wanting to do business, I can go and meet them, they can come and meet me. I think what we'll find is that Manchester is a good place to be. It's a good place to meet. And Leeds and Bradford and Sheffield could well be the best parts of Manchester. Tom Forth, thank you very much. Well, I found it quite reassuring, actually, that uh, Tom Tom doesn't actually hate us. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's always nice not to be hated, I suppose. Yeah, we're not going to have a, a civil war in North Town. <laughs> yeah, despite all those threats that people seem to make online to, to you know, say to Scotland, take us with you. But one of the things I thought was interesting that he said was that he doesn't see it as a deliberate process. That It's not like London is deliberately or even consciously kind of swallowing all the money for transport projects and so on. That this is just, this just happens because of the way the British state is structured. I mean, what do you make of that? Well, yeah, I mean, and it's, it's more than just the way states are structured. I mean, the fact is that when there are quite a lot of resources and projects in one place, they tend to spawn a lot more. That I mean, I guess that's the agglomeration effect, really, isn't it? That and that is not helped, I guess, when you have a kind of financial centre and state centre in exactly the same place. And the people operating within those can see a lot of sense in kind of reinvesting in one one location. Yeah, I think it's sort of it's very easy to see the benefit of a you know a fifteen billion pound railway like Crossrail, which is currently being dug under London, if you're getting on an overcrowded tube train every day, mm. and you can see exactly why this is needed. Plus, you know, so much of the British economy is based in London that it's probably quite easy to come up with an economic model that shows you're going to get a you know it's good cost benefit analysis whereas if you're looking at building a, a tram system in Bradford or something it's probably much harder to to make that case yeah and that's why I mean that's why the devolution case kind of makes sense really because you, that means you have the main input coming from people who see the benefit in it happening elsewhere or happening in the area they're responsible for and you can see that working out a bit better for places outside London. Earlier we were talking about Paris a bit and Paris is is a similar predicament to London in that both of them are not only the sort of uh, financial and business capitals of their respective states but they're they're the political capital, they're the cultural capital that's not the usual model. If you look around the world, if you look at Germany, Berlin is the political capital, but all the finances in Frankfurt and there's other stuff in, in Munich and Hamburg and so on. If you look at the US, they've got cities doing lots of different specialisms. In, in China, it's something I didn't appreciate until, until I was uh, running City Metric. In fact, if you look at China, Beijing is not a rich city by Chinese standards like most of the Chinese economy happens in Hong Kong and the cities around there or Shanghai yeah and they look starkly different as well that Beijing on first glance doesn't look like a kind of world power city or a capital city particularly because it's kind of lower lying it doesn't have because in a way we associate importance or capitals with those huge skyscrapers which normally indicate a financial district Mm. but yeah as you say France is kind of has that strange financial district kind of off to the side amongst those kind of very old traditional Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. 
Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas... You will be timed. Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. <laughs> a lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, yeah, you, you were different. And so much more. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. State capital hallmarks. Hmm. As I said, one of the other countries that has this more dispersed model of uh, power, really, is what we're talking about, is the US. So uh, for our other guests this week, we should probably talk to America. This is a Manhattan-bound B-Express train. The next stop is Grand Street. Hello, I am Elizabeth Winkle. So I am a journalist and uh, editor, and I write with any statesman about fan culture. Um, and I've written once about New York City, and I will be writing more again, I promise, John, don't worry. Um, and, uh, yeah, I work for a couple of magazines here in New York. Um, and I started writing for the NS when I was doing my master's degree at UCL. Um, so I was living in London for a few years before coming back to New York um, about this time last year. So how long have you been based in New York? Uh, I moved here in 2008, so... Um, it was 2008 to 13, and now the past year, so about six years. But um, I'm from I'm from the state of New York. I've I have brand loyalty. I'm I'm very committed to this state in particular. Um, but it's always funny talking to British people because uh, that's it's like a four hour drive to my hometown, and that's only like halfway up to Canada. So um, it's it uh, geographically, we, I think we have such a different sense of of scale and of of you know connections to our cities. So. So, growing up, up upstate, it is upstate, the phrase I'm looking for, isn't it? Yeah. Ups, well, you know, I mean, I don't think we need to get into the minutiae. I am from upstate, but um, not all of the rest of the state of New York is upstate New York. There are many different regions. Okay, we'll, we'll, sa- we'll save that one for a future podcast. And yeah, that's right, prob- There's York probably regions. a whole series of, yeah, yeah, we'll, 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 we'll come back to that one. Um, so, so, you know, growing up upstate, how, how did New York City look? My mother was born in Queens and um, was mostly raised but 20 minutes out onto Long Island over the over the New York City line. My grandmother was like central casting, like Italian. My mother's family, in particular my grandmother, very like heavy Queens accent, blue eyeshadow and bright red hair kind of thing. Culturally, uh, it didn't feel all that distant. But, you know, frankly, we were closer to Boston than physically closer to Boston than we were to New York. I think we have a different perspective than the rest of the country might have on New York. So, I don't know. So, I mean, the, the the topic of this this particular podcast is 
how how the big city looks from from the rest of the country. Like, you know, how, I mean, it's, I suppose it feels different here because obviously Britain's a relatively small country. So the fact that London is sat in one corner of it does kind of it, it dominates Britain in a way that New York doesn't necessarily dominate the US. But that that right. said, how do how does the rest of the country feel about New York? I mean, if you if you're sat somewhere in like yeah. you know, Phoenix, Arizona, <laughs> or something, or downtown Houston, what what do these guys think of New Yorkers? Did you say Houston for my benefit in your British way? Not Houston. Not not deliberately. Um, did I get that wrong? My. I hear Houston's all right right now. It's very very international. Anyway, um, yeah, I uh, I don't know if you saw last night um, the hundred and fifteen thousandth. Republican presidential debate. Uh, did you see this going around when Ted Cruz said, "Like we all know what New York values are"? That, Do you remember? I, I hadn't heard that specific. I mean, is, is, is that code? Is is he? Yeah. Is, 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 is so, he coming out against the Jews there? I mean, what's? <laughs> so yeah, there's a couple that people were spreading around. There's a moment where in the West Wing where they're talking about someone saying New York values, and Toby goes, "She means Jewish." So people were, were sharing that. But then also, I guess there's a bit from 30 Rock where it's the same thing, where, where Liz Lemon's going on. No, Jack Donahue's going on about about New York values. And she's like, just say Jewish, save us some time, you know? <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's that's what the... I mean, I, I think that's a little reductive. I think that... But I think that it's a pretty good example of... I didn't watch a debate, so it's my, I may be speaking um, completely off the cuff here. But, like, it's my understanding that Donald Trump was talking about New York values... Um, I don't know. Maybe I should have fact-checked this in advance. Um, and then, you know, I, it's 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 going to be curious if they try to paint, paint him as, like, bad for America because he is so New York. This is this is not really answering the question. And he's, a guy who, he's a guy who literally owns skyscrapers. So that's, that's I mean, that seems I mean, he is to me. very New York. And, and I, I hate to say that seeing as now he's trying to put Muslims in camps and stuff because I don't think that's very New York. He's selfish and greedy and likes to build buildings like I don't know that seems very New York to me I get the sense that most of middle America and that's shorthand not just for the Midwest but for places that aren't on the coasts have a low opinion of New York I don't know it's it's this archetypal big city full of like gay people and racial diversity <laughs> so uh yeah queer people of color it's uh, terrifying but also there's definitely a rhetoric that's evolved over the years, particularly in the last few presidential cycles, talking about um, Wall Street versus Main Street. And, you know, so if you're talking about analogous things to London, New York, I think, has an advantage that London doesn't. Is It's not the center of every single industry in the entire country like London is, but it is still the center of financial services. So it can be a shorthand for big finance that's not connected to the concerns of real Americans, even though it's a city with probably 7.5 million people of the 8 million who live here are just same low to middle income people who are struggling to pay their bills you know so I mean I guess that's the that's the difference really when when people in the US talk about New York values or whatever they are talking about the values whereas a, a lot of the resentment of, of London that you get in the UK isn't just about the sort of liberal values that that's part of it it's, it's also about the fact that all the all the economic power and all the political power resides in London in a way that isn't that yeah. isn't necessarily true in New York. Totally. I mean, do you? Yeah. To what extent do you? I mean, it's a big question, but to what extent do you think that kind of changes 
people's attitudes that power is that is a lot more widely dispersed to to other cities in the U.S. Uh, you know, the entertainment industry in Los Angeles and tech in San Francisco and government in D.C. And I guess we have finance and the arts um, and the media um, and not even the whole media, but we have most of it. You know, I, I studied abroad at King's uh, about 10 years ago. And this is even something I was observing and I wasn't even having to deal with, like, my friends didn't have jobs and complaints and things like that. I mean, they had complaints because, you know, they're English. This has always struck me about when I've lived in Britain, that it just seems so, the resentment that builds up, that just doesn't really exist here. I mean, it's sort of comparing apples and oranges in the sense because this country is so much larger, you know? And like these other cities aren't just like offshoots, like they're enormous, enormous cities as well, which I just don't, I don't see Britain having that, you know what I mean? Maybe that's not true demographically, I don't know. You're the guy to ask about that. I think you'd struggle to find anyone who thinks it's a good thing quite how much of the British economy, especially the English economy, is is based in this one city. And I don't think... uh, What the result of this feels to me is that we've ended up with half the country where you can't get a job and half the country where you can't get a house mm. and that's you know that's an oversimplification but nonetheless that's that's kind of true it's very difficult to find somewhere that's economically vibrant where you can get the kind of career that you want for yourself and still where you can if you're 25 starting out in life where you can still actually afford to live right there. i mean you definitely get that in the big u.s cities you know if you want to break into the tech industry the rents in san francisco now are comical you know, they're worse than here. Um, I'd be curious to know how they stack up to London. That being said, if you get a job in the tech industry, you're fine. You know, that's the whole point. And the same thing here. You know, you have people... You, you have the, the media in particular and, and the arts that are here. It creates this structure where it's very similar to London, where only people who can af- or who can be subsidized by their parents can afford to take the entry-level jobs or, you know, previously it was the unpaid internships. So then it creates this the, kind the, of the Lena Dunham cloistered, not particularly diverse media climate. But this was part of my thing moving, moving back here because I was, you know, graciously asked to leave by the home office um, because there's no more <laughs> visa extensions. I grudgingly moved back here and everyone was like, well, why, why does it have to be New York? I mean, if you're going to complain about it, like, Part of it is my general bias against the rest of the country. But the other part is I I work in the media. Like, I don't know, like, there's handfuls of magazines in other cities, but it's really not the same thing as having an industry centered there. That definitely creates a huge problem, especially because media doesn't pay any better here than it does there. So. Okay, well, I, I, I feel like we should be wrapping this up, so I'm just going to ask one more thing, which is, you know... All those the world city, global city league tables you see, it tends to be London and New York jostling for top position. And I think a lot of people in London quite like the idea of sort of comparing themselves to New York and thinking the two places are, are, are comparable in some way. Does, does this look like we're just deluding ourselves from, from the perspective of New York? Do they, like, do they even know we're here? Is the question like, do you people in New York think about London or is the question about comparing? Because... I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm wondering whether New Yorkers think about London at all. Validate, <laughs> validate my people. Um, right. Well, I do, uh, and I compare constantly. Um, but I would say that I, hmm, I don't, I don't necessarily want to speak for all people here, but I think that Americans are pretty ethnocentric and inward-looking, um, and I think 
I don't know. I, you know, you got to think about it. Like people in other cities, I lived in San Francisco briefly and they compare themselves to New York and Los Angeles all the time. And it's like, "Mm, I don't think these other cities are thinking about you. You know, (laughs) maybe now this was, this was in 2008. So uh, this, it's really boomed since then. Like I could uh, afford an apartment there then. I hear more often people comparing just like major cities. They'll talk about major cities of Europe in one sweep. They'll say London and Paris and I don't know, Berlin. I have no idea. Which is total apples and oranges to me. Like Paris, seriously? Like, I don't know. I I love comparing New York and London. It just kind of helps me get my bearings. And there's so many similarities. You know, I just think because of the size and because of the diversity. Yeah, I think also because they do occupy similar like central points in the culture. Just different ones. Awesome. That was a confusing, rambling end. I'm that's, sorry. That's all good. We um, actually we we ran an article quite early on on City Metric, which on which I put the deliberately provocative headline that there was here's definitive proof that London is better than New York. Oh my um, god! Can I go read that so I can set we, you on fire and fight you? Like, but what I like about oh. that is we got a. Richard Florida, the sort of prominent U.S. urbanist and the guy behind City Lab, actually sort of wrote a very angry response, proving <laughs> proving that this thing I'd mostly done to troll Americans was in fact rubbish. Like, yeah, I know. But anyway. Oh my god, that's funny. Wait, what was your what were your like what were your points? I was going to say metrics. I, that feels I too can't low. even remember. Which is that's nose. probably that's probably a sign of quite what a. Well, a strong argument it was that I, it was some someone had done a survey. It's like I didn't just make it up out of whole cloth, but it was it, it wasn't it it, it it wasn't peer reviewed, put it that way. I I well I do this thing where when I'm here I will be like oh no no London's way better, and then I'm, when I'm over there I find myself defending all these things in New York that I think are awful. Like I think I was in your office at one point defending the subway. Subway's a piece of crap. Delays are up like 50% since I've gotten back. They just said they're going to close one of the tunnels under the river, which means a bunch of my friends will literally have no way to take the train to work. They're like isolated along that line, basically. And everyone works in Manhattan. When I was over in in, uh, London, anytime anyone, like a hint of derision about the subway, I'd be like, it's egalitarian, screw you and your stupid classist zones, and it's open all night, like... I, and I, as a woman, need this to feel safe at 3 a.m. So it's it's true. I uh, I don't know. They, they both have their pluses and minuses. I guess. It's, it's like other people criticizing your family, isn't it? It's okay when you do it. But uh, yeah, it's exactly that. like that. So I feel very very comfortable here, and maybe to the point where it's not it's not it's not exciting in any way. Um, I would prefer to live in London, but um, Theresa May doesn't want me to. So that seems like a, a cheerful note to end on. So. <laughs> If you're listening, you can give me a visa. It's fine. It's fine. No, because I can't afford housing there. Your giant apartments. This is a Manhattan-bound Q Express train. The next stop is Sheepshead Bay. So, the, the the thing I took away from that conversation is that you know a lot of Americans probably hate New York in the same way a lot of uh, other British people hate London, but it's kind of slightly different. Hatred. It's more about sort of uh, different cultural values rather than the fact that you know they don't feel kind of that their, their life chances being crushed by this sort of overweening mm. New York City. I mean, what do you make of it? That argument? Yeah. Well, the inverse is that people who go to America always say, "Oh no, they weren't really Americans; they were New Yorkers." <laughs> there's this kind of there's like a, a natural personality difference that people claim to see 
um, between the two. But I think that probably it's just because there's so much more kind of cultural and national and all kinds of different mixing in New York that it has taken on a bit of a, a culture of its own, really. Mm. I mean, I think one of the, as we said in the last segment, actually, one of the key differences between London and New York is that London is also the political capital, uh, as well as the financial and media capital. Um, do you think that we could solve any of Britain's problems by moving the capital out of London and sending it, I don't know, somewhere in the north? Possibly, yeah. I mean, I think you have to separate a few of the concerns of having more than one place. I don't think... I mean, New York's quite a good... It is quite good evidence that you don't necessarily take amazing culture with you when you have your capital in Washington, D.C. I mean, Washington, <laughs> D.C. is a nice city, but it's not New York by any stretch of the imagination. But I think it probably does help kind of spread the load of where the power lies and the kind of things we were discussing before about how priorities are set i think that it would it would change that i mean the bbc has gone to salford and there's no terrible um outcomes from that so maybe we should give it a try no but the, a lot of the operations probably more than they were originally hoping do seem to have stayed in london um, yeah, i've true. always been quite keen on the idea we move the capital to bradford partly because it's the middle of the country partly because bradford is i, I found the, the first time i went there a few years ago unbelievably beautiful which is mm. not something you expect of it but also, I kind of think that if we, put, when I went there, there was also a massive hole in Bradford where it would have been a great place to put, put a new parliament. But unfortunately, they've got a shopping centre there now, so can't use that. But it just, it seems to me like if if the politicians rule up in Bradford, then it would be a lot easier getting that kind of high speed rail link across the north of England off the ground. Yeah, and politicians might not be so exclusively people who really want power and to have a jolly life in London mm. because it wouldn't be such an appealing. Uh, offering to mm. live there I suspect we're, we're not going to make that one happen just by sort of demanding it on a podcast but no, it's you worth never a go. Know. Yeah. good luck Bradford we're, we're with you in every edition of this podcast we're going to do a regular feature in which we get talk about our map of the week maps as you'll know are a pretty regular feature on City Metric if you're, if you're reading the website then you're almost certainly uh, you're only there for the maps let's, let's be honest Rest about this you don't, you, you don't yeah you don't care what we've got to say you just want to see what maps we've published recently um, so every week we're going to talk about one of them um, maps don't do so well on audio but we're going to give it our best shot um, this week's map comes from uh, a design lab in Stuttgart and it's called All Roads Lead to Rome Move all the design lab in question basically just set a computer up to make lots and lots and lots of Google map requests to kind of get the, the, the quickest route to Rome from every point on the European continent and the result looks it looks a bit like a tree doesn't it what do you what do you make yeah of it? or a kind of a series of rivers yeah <laughs> dendritic river system streaming yeah. towards Rome what I kind of like about it is just that you can sort of see how you know, one city can be considered the center of the world it's kind of interesting with Rome, particularly just because it literally was the centre of the world for, you know, 500 years. Yeah, and they kind of did a lot of roads as well. Yeah, I, I think actually a lot of these roads are, are sadly probably motorways and autobahns and so on, rather than the nice straight ones. But, yeah, uh, but the thought is there. Yeah. <laughs> it's all a tribute, really. Anyway, it's a, it's, a, it's, a very, it's a very pretty map, and it kind of speaks to our theme of, like, you know, over-centralised power. So we suggest you go and, you go and look at that. We'll, we'll a map with a message. Yeah, there we are. You've been listening to Skylines, the City Metric podcast. It was presented by John Elledge and Barbara Speed and produced by Royfield Brown. Our theme music is Dust from the Stars by Charlie Charles. 
You also heard The Weather by Destinazione Al Trove and Embryonic Waves, composed by Matthew Reitzel. All music in the show is licensed under Creative Commons. You can find Skylines every two weeks on Acast and on iTunes, where you'll also find two more shows by our excellent colleagues, Seriously and the New Statesman Podcast. In the meantime, you can find all the stories about cities, maps and geography you could possibly want on our website, citymetric.com. You can also talk to us on Twitter and on Facebook, where there's a pretty good chance we'll talk back. And if you wanted to leave a review to tell your friends how lovely we are, well, we'd very much appreciate that. Thanks for listening. This is a Manhattan-bound B-Express train. The next stop is Grand Street. Mind the gap. 지하서울역입니다. 내리실 문은 오른쪽입니다. 명동, 경북이나 사전, Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have, like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. <laughs> a lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, yeah, you, you were different. And so much more. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Are you a reality TV junkie? Do you ever think, dang, I wish I had someone to talk to about all the trash TV that I watch? Well, look no further, garbage lover, because Reality Gaze is a podcast for you. Hello, I'm Maddie. And I'm Poodle, and we're the Reality Gaze. We talk about all your favorite unscripted shows like The Golden Bachelor, Love is Blind, and TLC's big, messy behemoth, 90 Day Fiance. And if you're driving to work, folding laundry, or just pretending to listen to your husband talk about sports, just put on the pod, and you've instantly got two gay besties spilling all the tea and reading these people for filth. So come at us, y'all. Find Reality Gaze wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs>